Hey everyone, welcome to the last episode of Delgica for 2017. Hope you're all having a good holiday and end to the year. Stephanie and I are actually also taking a bit of a break over the holidays, so we don't have a new episode of Dialgica for you today. But we do have a bonus episode. For our regular listeners, I'm sure you all know that Stephanie is in grad school right now, in Columbia School of Journalism, and a lot of her work this year has been on telling different kinds of stories through audio and also through video. So we thought it'd be cool for you to get a bit of a peek into that world and hear what Stephanie's been up to. We're going to play a few of Stephanie's audio pieces that she worked on and made for Columbia Radio News. Steph, do you have anything to add or say about these pieces? Um, so as maybe some of you know, Sweden actually does edit most of the Dialogica episodes and I uh, chip in by <laughs> trying to get interviews and being myself. Yeah. Um, and this next series, one is about um, the Greenwood Cemetery and one is a holiday piece as appropriately it is a holiday time. Yeah. Um, that was all like recorded and produced by yours truly. So also these pieces were created as part of my class writing for the year with Professor Ann Cooper, whose feedback was really instrumental to these pieces making any coherent sense. <laughs> yeah. The first piece we're going to play is about Philip Klein and his unsilent night sound compositions that he does for the last 30 years. It was designed to be played on boom boxes and people on boom boxes would play it all in the same time and like walk around Manhattan together. Mm -hmm. Ever since he's been doing that, it's just grown and grown. It's been played in over 40 cities now. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk to Phil uh, about that. And he's actually the best person to interview so far. I just asked him if I could interview him. And he's like, yeah, sure. Just come to my studio. Um <laughs> Which never happens. Usually I have to like pitch myself and like tell them my portfolio of work and like convince them why it's a good idea to be interviewed by a student. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I went there with my audio recorder, uh, which is the Zoom H1N, which is kind of like a large, like think of a large, large iPhone that's like super big and has cables and a microphone attached to it. Mm -hmm. That's what I use to record and, and I just put that in front of his face basically and he was such a good sport about it. So yeah. There's that. Yeah. The second piece is creatively titled A Night at the Greenwood Cemetery. Um, the prompt of this piece was to do something that we are uncomfortable with. Thanks, Professor Cooper. Um, thanks, Anne. But basically, I chose to first actually try to find a crematorium and watch that process. But yeah. uh, after a few funeral directors called me disrespectful, I backed out and went on the Greenwood Cemetery nighttime tour, which is interesting to me because as an Indonesian who's like sometimes superstitious, and I think most Indonesians understand that, that's something that we Indonesians don't really do and are kind of paranoid about, you know, going to a cemetery at night. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's what the piece is about. It's me going on this journey. The tour guide allowed me to record myself throughout the process and like really that was me capturing my emotional state of the time. And then afterwards, I wrote the script and tried to make it like a coherent piece and did a little bit of research like about, you know, different presidents and how they felt about the supernatural. So, yeah. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoy that. So before we dive into these, we want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has supported us and listened to our episodes and shared them with friends and family and even strangers throughout 2017. It's been a huge year for us personally, mm -hmm. having both moved to the States for different reasons. 
I moved for work and Steph moved for school, but we're both incredibly humbled and grateful to hear that our stories and interviews continue to inspire listeners across the world and move the conversation towards a more progressive and just global society. Right. It's been a tough year for progressive values, and it's only going to get tougher. But as our wonderful friend Kate Walton said in our last episode, Mm -hmm. we got to keep the momentum going and continue the good fight into 2018 and beyond. We're excited about what the new year will bring. We can't wait to share those stories with you in the near future. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Um, We'll see you in the new year. Happy holidays. And here's to Steph. Most of us think of Christmas music as a group of carolers singing traditional songs while soft snow falls on their song sheets, or maybe Mariah Carey doing an updated version of All I Want for Christmas. If you're a fan of traditions like these, let's see what you think of Unsilent Night. Stephanie Tankillison explains. Music is Phil Klein's passion and his profession. He's played in rock band, written scores for dance, and composed some pretty avant-garde stuff like musical pieces based on Vietnam-era Pentagon briefings. Klein is definitely not a fan of traditional Christmas music that we can't escape from in stores and elevator soundtracks every Christmas season. People are like, oh God, Christmas music, I can't stand it. Now for a month I have to listen to these awful versions of, you know, of Deck the Halls and all this stuff. You know, every shopping center, every department store, everywhere you go, you can't get away from the saturation. But one of the worst, I think, is Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. It's like, what was he thinking? What an awful tune that is. In some way, in the back of my mind, I think I was like completely trying to stay away from Christmas carols. As a young composer who moved to New York in the 90s, Klein decided to do something to push back at traditional holiday music. He set to work with a multi-track recorder to create his own music. It was like this little console that had a mixing board on it, and you could record on a cassette that you could record four tracks and then mix to other things. And so I wrote it on those four tracks, and each one of those tracks I then copied independently onto the other cassettes. He sent press releases to newspapers all over New York, inviting people to join him in downtown Manhattan to play cassettes of his music on their boomboxes. The idea was to create an impromptu outdoor music concert with some very unconventional Christmas music. Klein had no idea who would come or what it would sound like. I had never heard the music outside. I'd heard it in a room, and it sounded pretty cool. But when I heard it outside, I was just like, oh my god, I can't believe how cool this sounds. Uh, The sound was like sort of everywhere, like a cloud. It seemed like it was coming up from the sidewalk, off the walls, the sky. It was just like, it really, it twinkled as much as the stars in the sky did. For me, it sounds like he asked all the cathedrals in a city to ring their bells at the same time and synthesize it. Other parts of it sound like avant-garde church music. Klein says he was inspired by the lights of Christmas that pierces winter's darkness. From the suburbs and we'd be riding, driving down some road and then in the distance you'd see these like glittering lights through the trees and then you'd get closer and it was like these explosions of color. And the mystery of Christmas too. Unsilent Night is an annual tradition, now in Washington Square Park, where dozens of devotees gather. You can see and hear the scene in YouTube videos like these. Okay. 
client gets things started with a countdown. And his followers press play on their boomboxes or Bluetooth speakers. Then they're off, walking through the streets, the music from each machine harmonizing or clashing with all the others around it. The name of the piece was originally Carol, but when a Village Voice headliner came up with Unsilent Night, Klein said, Yes! <laughs> That's what it's going to be called. And the tracks Klein put old, like really old music from the 8th century holiday songs. This is one called uh, Lux de Luce, which just means light from light. There's also a hymn, uh, a hymn that has ancient roots. I think it, it, it also comes from sometime in like the you know, 8th century. Klein sees this composition as an antidote to the endless loop of traditional Christmas music. But he says it's still Christmas music. Not everyone agrees, though. A few years ago, he was set to lead an unsilent night procession in the Midwest when some local residents complained that his music was anti-Christmas. Can I tell them about my three years of catechism class and being an altar boy and, and the, the, you know, like the ancient Gregorian chants that are quoted in the piece and all that? I said, no, I don't think they want to hear it. <laughs> so we're going to try again next year. Klein is not at all a combatant in the war against Christmas. He cuts his own Christmas tree each year. Klein says he and his family celebrate both Hanukkah and Christmas. And for more than 20 years, he's led the Unsilent Night musical processions, his alternative to Christmas caroling. You know, if you're an artist or anything, you know, you have these, these things that you're proud of, you're, they're very precious, but then after a while you sort of let them go, put them in the desk or something. Unsilent Night will not let me sleep. <laughs> Just every year it says, okay, Phil, time to do this again. And uh, guess what? There's more of us this year. Klein is expecting around 400 people to gather at Washington Square on the 17th to help him stage on Silent Night once more. For Columbia Radio News, Stephanie Dankiwisan. I guess many cultures consider cemeteries a pretty somber place to visit. But I am from Indonesia, and our fear of graveyards is on the extreme end. It is connected to our belief in the undead, whose spirits could be lurking anywhere. A house, an office building, and of course, a cemetery. In the process of researching the story, even Googling Indonesian ghosts raised my goosebumps. Even strongmen and presidents in Indonesia are not immune. Former dictator Suharto kept mystics and sorcerers on call so he could consult them regularly. Former President Yudhoyono shared the story of his ghostly encounters on his autobiography. Imagine President Obama writing about ghosts in his book, Dreams of My Father. Even if ghosts aren't as a big deal, it was pretty surprising to learn that in America, you can do special cemetery tours at night, a time where no Indonesian would voluntarily set foot there, even on a guided tour. But I'm not in Indonesia, so what could go wrong if I join a nighttime tour of a Brooklyn graveyard that is home to 600,000 dead bodies? really creeped out, especially now that it's pretty dark. And to see anything and to go anywhere, you have to use your flashlight. And the flashlight's shining on all of these large marble humanoid figures is pretty, pretty creepy. One of the most eerie things at Greenwood are the thousands of human-sized ivory marble statues clustered around. The ones that are particularly disturbing to me are the ones of little children. 
our guides told us that it was a tradition. When a child dives, the family would make replicas of the child and put it on top of and, their graves. And uh, a lot of people with nice, fancy DSLR cameras taking photos in the cemetery, which is something that Indonesians definitely won't do in a cemetery because you're afraid of what might show up in the photos if you take pictures in these kind of places. Indonesian ghosts include some terrifying archetypes. There's Kuntalanak, who takes the form of a beautiful woman with long black hair and devours the entrails of her victims, and pochongs, as undead bodies are called. They come wrapped in white burial shrouds and hop around graveyards. It was well past the witching hour in Greenwood Cemetery. I've made it through much of the tour, past tombstones and statues. The biggest hurdle turns out to be when we enter the underground cemetery. Oh no. Stepping into the catacombs and yeah, this is very creepy. I don't want to be the first one here. In a wall of um, coffins, it's plastered all white. One can only panic for so long, and gradually, by adopting a tactic to sticking close to the group and averting my eyes from outside of the path, we finish walking in the bitingly cold evening. Averting my eyes from the tree branches and the headstones and just looking straight ahead onto the paved road. And this is pretty much the longest two-hour walking tour that I've ever been on. And I can't wait to be done and go back to the comfort of my brightly lit bedroom. I couldn't help feeling like it confirmed my sentiments that in the end, I can send up to American ghosts and the undead, but Indonesian ghosts are still another matter. They deserve my respect and absolute avoidance. For Columbia Radio News, Stephanie Tangilisan. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and on Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's Steph Tank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time. Bye!